We welcome you to another live edition of the Sports Box, brought to you by our sponsor, Showcase Sports in Hamilton. Showcase Sports for the elite athlete. And by our friends over at Crowdplay. Download the free Crowdplay app today and check them out at www.crowdplayapp.com for details. Ladies and gentlemen, it's showtime. Hey everybody, welcome to Cage by IQ. This is your host, D-Bake. Joining with me once again is my co-host, Jim. How's it going, Jim? What's up, man? I'm ready to dive into this fight night. Great card. Yeah, I know. The, the, this fight card has been changed several times. Yeah. Went from being a pretty very good main event to an unknown card to actually a very uh, solid card altogether uh, at the end of the day. Uh, what, what, was, what was your first opinion when you saw the card fully the other day when they announced it? I like that they, they're bookending the, the straw weights. You know, you have Waterson and Rodriguez in the main event, and in the kickoff of the, the main card is their last opponents in Hebas and Hill. Yeah. So I, I, I like that. Um, I like that we're getting Cowboy Cerrone, another fight. Uh, we know that there's a bunch of stuff going on between the UFC and his former opponent, uh, Diego Sanchez, and Alex Morono stepped up, what, five yeah. days' notice to take this fight. And then you have a, you know, you have these up and coming guys and gals that are on the, t- the outskirts of the top ten, or just right at the back of the end of the top ten, looking to take that next step in their career. So I'm excited for this one. Yep. And then before before we get started, I just want to make note that the main event, because they have put the main event uh, together so on short notice, they were supposed to fight three rounds, and then because of the scrap uh, fight, and then they didn't fully announce the. Uh, Rodriguez versus Waterson until two days ago. Yeah, they're they're actually fighting at flyweight instead of strawweight uh, because of the short notice. Because the, the to cut that much in short amount of time for a five round fight, they weren't going to make them do that. So they were just like, just make sure you you make it for a flyweight. We we'll give you a little bit of leeway with the with the weight because they're doing five rounds, and then that's where it's going to be. So it's. Yeah, so that's nice. Yeah. Nice of them. Yeah, so it's sort of it's sort of like a catch weight, even though they're, they're both straw weights. They just don't have to worry about uh, uh, doing all the craziness and short notice because yeah. they weren't even sure uh, what was going to happen with the main event uh, at the time. It's nice of them. Could you imagine yeah. if this were a title fight? You know, <sighs> I feel like you should go into and like I'm not a fighter and never happened, but I feel like yeah. when you're going in there, you're going in there with the expectation that you're going to be on weight to go for Like if this were a title fight and Waterson was fighting on the the earlier fights, you know, she'd go in there with the, the attempt to say like, I'm going to make that five weight. Same thing with if it was Corey Sanhagen and TJ Dillashaw, the yeah. former main event, uh, just being ready. But I like UFC being confident to say, you know what? These girls need to get in there. We're going to showcase their talents and uh, we're going to make it a, a hell of a fight. Exactly, but uh, let's get started with the first fight in the card, which sure. is a, a women's strawweight matchup, with, which is pitting ten and two uh, Amanda Rebes, who is the minus one seventy five favorite, going up against Angela Hill, who is thirteen and nine, is the plus one forty five underdog. What's your first thoughts on this matchup? 
Yeah, man, this is a great start to the main event, or the main card, I'm sorry. Uh, you have Amanda Hibas, who, after four straight wins in the UFC over Mackenzie Derns, Randa Marcos, and Patron Zant was poised to be the, the next big thing. You know, she was the, the it girl of the UFC, and then she ran into uh, our main event co-headliner, Marina Rodriguez, and lost that fight. While on the other side, you have Angela Hill, six-year UFC veteran, who, due to her record, has kind of become and given the role of uh, gatekeeper in the strawweight division. Yeah. Uh, and, and lately, to be honest with you, Hill's biggest opponent has been the judges, uh, getting the losing end of two split decisions in the last two fights uh, between Gedalia and, I believe, Watterson. Um, but she's looking to get back to her winning ways and work her way towards a title shot and a rematch with Rose Nami Yunan to this fight, uh, trying to keep the fight standing and keep a nonstop pace like she's known to. Um, utilizing her stand-up and her kickboxing to help score the win. With Hibaz, I see her trying to take it to the ground in an attempt to tire out Hill and get a submission. And with Hibaz, her stand-up is developing. Uh, but what we what we got in her in what got her into the UFC uh, is her ground game. So look to see this fight go to the ground a lot. Um, and if the fight stays standing, still uh, Hill is gonna be too much for Hibas in my opinion and when it comes down to my decision for this fight uh, I'm going to go with uh, Amanda Hibas by uh, second round submission yeah as you see right here we got uh, Amanda Hibas fighting out of Brazil and then you got Angela Hill fighting out of uh, New York City uh, Rebas is 27 Hill is 36 so she's given up nine years uh, of youth uh, you got uh, Rebas is 116 and you got Hill, who is 115 and a half. They both had the same height. Uh, Rebus has the 66 reach advantage to 64 and a half of uh, Hill. And uh, Rebus fights out of uh, America Top Team. And then Rebus Family, which is our primary uh, gym. And then you got Hill fighting out of Alliance uh, Gym over there. And as you can see here, I have notes right here so everybody can see. To give everybody the kind of uh, input of... Uh, what we have in the background, but Rebus holds a black belt in both jiu-jitsu and judo against the Muay Thai styles of Hill. However, Rebus shoots, she's going to want that takedown. Uh, Hill, uh, like she, she's going to take down, but she gets over eager. And I think their grappling style of Rebus is going to be her advantage in this matchup. Whereas Hill is going to want to uh, do a lot of work on her feet. Like it's beneficial that Hill mixes a lot of kicks and knees into her combinations, as either can be used to initiate takedowns if time time carefully. That's something for uh, like a rebus because Hill Hill's worried about the combos, but if she rushes everything, it's and then she does too much. Rebus is going to know that, and Hill is prone to being taken down because of her volume. Mm -hmm. Uh, Reba should be looking to clinch. Hill loves the clinch and is skilled there, but she can over eager with it, and and then she likes to pursue knees and elbows. Yeah, like she likes to mix, do a lot of mixture, just a lot of this and a lot of that. And it gets Reba. She's got to stay standing. She wants to get into like kind of like a range, pick a range and stay there. Uh, kind of like uh, what happened uh, in the Rosenstruck fight against Ghani. Ghani stayed a distance away. He knew that he had to respect Rosenstruck's uh, striking, uh, and then he knew he has to stay in range. And that's what she needs to do, respect that Rebus uh, could 
decide to go for that takedown, even though she's not known for that. Uh, she's going to want to keep moving. Uh, Rebus is a little bit slower than Hill. Hill, Hill can keep it moving good. But um, Hill's kickboxing, like I said, will be perfect for the distance I uh, find in, in this in this matchup. And she's going to want to uh, attack the legs and then go in, go out, pick and choose her shots, go in and go out. And I feel like, though, in this matchup, though, she's going to get, like I said, too overeager and she's going to commit to too much stuff in a too short amount of time instead of thinking about what she needs to do ahead of time. She's going to kind of go on the fly with it. And I think Rebus is going to come in with the game plan, knowing that Hill's going to try and stand the fight up, and she's going to pick and choose. And she's going to go for a takedown and try and grapple. And I'm going to say that she's going to win by second-round submission. I feel like she's going to get her slipping, going for a knee, She's going to catch her. She's going to get her down, and she's going to win by second round uh, rear naked choke. Okay. I don't see Hill ever attempting a, uh, a takedown in this. I think she – I know you said that she, you know, she's prone yeah. to it sometimes, but she gets overeager. I think that the game plan for a striker against Hibaz is laid out with the last fight between her and uh, Mariana Rodriguez. When Hibaz was moving forward, Rodriguez moved right forward, kept the pace – called her and then you know put her out that's the same type of style that we see with angela hill she's a stand-up fighter uh, an entertaining fighter despite you know her record like i said the judges have kind of been cruel to her but she likes to go to decisions and she likes to use her range and use her uh point fighting to get her to those decisions but with hebas i feel like she has to stop her you know what i mean i don't think that this is going to go to distance like you said the only problem with the with the that with the Rodriguez fight is Marina Rodriguez has power in her strikes. Oh yeah, she's a killer. Yeah, she's a killer. Whereas Hill, she doesn't have that much power to her. She has a lot of volume. She has a lot of she can put do an output of a lot of striking and then kicks. It's just that yeah. it's not going to be a, a lot of power to them. So they're not going to be as effective as one shot power shot. Of Marina Rodriguez, which is the case that what happened to Rebus. She was able to get her with a couple shots because Rebus was winning that fight. And then she caught her with a good uh, strike in the second round. And then she, uh, which caught, which struck Rebus and then kind of paralyzed her for a second. Yeah, and it was then game over. It was game over from there because she was slipping the rest of the way. Rebus could probably get hit by Hill and then keep going because of the, her powers not as much. I feel like the path, the victory for Hill is her legs. Yeah, using, sure. her, using her leg kicks because they can immobilize a rebus here and there by just like effectively kicking her in the legs and, and doing good. Kind of like what Masvidal did with the Usman until he abandoned that. Yeah. Yeah. If you can stop a, a wrestler, BJJ practitioner from getting those takedowns by, you know, taking out their wheels, it's pretty uh, effective. Yep. But uh, moving on to the second fight of the card, we got a lightweight matchup between Diego Ferreira, who is 17 and three, and is the plus 150 underdog going up against Gregor Gillespie, who is 13 and one, and is the minus 185 underdog. I mean, uh, favorite. What's your thoughts on this fight? I like this uh, matchup for a lot of reasons. Both of these guys have been faced uh, faced off with top 10 contenders and are looking to take that next step. You have Fajeda, who's on, uh, who has eight wins in the UFC. 
uh, with one of them being a second round rear naked choke win over Anthony Pettis uh, just last year. And then you have Gregor Gillespie, who since entering the UFC has gone six and one with wins over Yancey Medeiros and Vince Bichel. Both of these guys are coming off a loss with Fajeda losing to Benil Daryush in February via split decision. And then Gregor uh, dropping his last fight to Kevin Lee via TKO. And that was two years ago. So there's a long layoff between um, Gregor and his, his previous fight to this one. Uh, the way I see this fight is that Gregor is going to get this to the ground. That's his game. That's his, that's his bread and butter getting it to the ground. And he's going to use his world-class ground game to get the win. Uh, but with Fajeda, he can get it done standing and on the ground. He's a really good BJJ uh, practitioner as well, which may present a problem to Gillespie. Uh, another thing I have to take into account is that layoff uh, for fights between Gillespie. Um, that fight with Kevin Lee was in 2019, and he's been he's going up against a guy who is slightly more active, not like super active. He's not going up against you know a Kevin Holland or anything, but he's going up against somebody who's slightly more active. Uh, which has impacted my decision, to be honest with you. Uh, this was a, probably the toughest one for me to go with. Um, I like Gregor's style. I love his ground game. He He's like a wet blanket. He just smothers you. Uh, but I'm going to go with Fajeda, actually, by decision. I think that he's going to, uh, because of his ground game, he's going to pose a different threat than Gregor's previous opponents. Yeah, we got we got uh, Ferrer, who's fighting out of... Uh... Texas, he's Brazilian, and then you got uh, Gillespie, who's fighting out of Long Island. Of course, he's American. Uh, Diego's 36 to uh, Gregor's 34. They're both uh, weighing at 155, and then the reach advantage goes to Ferreira. At, I mean, no, his height is 5'9", and then Gregor is 5'7". And then the, the, the reach advantage is 74 to Diego uh, to 71 of uh, uh Gregor Gillespie, he's fighting at Ferreira's fighting at Fortis MMA, and then Gillespie's fighting at Long Island MMA, and then he also fights out of Belmore Kickboxing MMA. Uh, they both are uh, wrestling style fighters. You see here, Ferrer is a solid striker that has stats to back it up. That uh, he's known for uh, standing up, but like he's a slouch when it comes to taking down. They both have a similar style of uh, getting the guy down and then doing the ground and pound. But the, the advantage with that is Gillespie, like, he, he's more aggressive with his uh, attempts. Yeah. Uh, and he's a very good uh, striker. He, he's more accurate. He doesn't have to throw as much to uh, connect. And I feel like I'm going to cut the chase here and just go short here. Even though with the layoff, I feel like he lost to a better fighter than Kevin Lee. Kevin Lee, right before he had the double leg surgery in his last fight, which was the fight after the the Gillespie fight, he was looking at the, the best he had. And, yeah. and then he, he gave uh, Gillespie his one one loss uh, in his career. And he's coming off of that. Gillespie took that time off. He, he used it to his advantage. Like he he's been training nonstop. Uh, he was supposed to fight uh, a month and a half ago against Brad Riddell, and that mm -hmm. got pulled the day of. And now he's booked with Diego Ferreira, whereas Drew Dober is booked uh, in a couple of weeks as well. Yeah, against, against Brad Riddell. Against Brad Riddell, and 
And so, like, it's not like he hasn't been trained, like, booked. He was booked for that. So he was training then. So this is just going to be a little bit more training on his belt, whereas Ferrer, this is his first booked fight in a while. Like he hasn't fight, fought since uh, uh, t- actually two months ago. He lost to Darius. Yeah. So whereas it's been one year for uh, uh, Gillespie. So like I feel like it's going to be a little bit beneficial to Gillespie, knowing that he, he was just training a month ago. And then now Ferrer's like coming in on just one month's notice to train for him. And I feel like what's going to happen is I don't think anybody's going to get knocked out or submitted. I think it's going to be all about the who's going to get the takedown and who's going to control the fight on the ground first. Because I think that's what's going to happen. And I think Gillespie's going to be the stronger guy, the guy that's going to smother Ferrer because of his aggressiveness. I think Ferrer... He's good on the ground, but he's less aggressive. He's yeah. just trying to get, uh, get, get you down and just go. Gillespie, like, that's his main objective. He's trying to get you down. He's trying to do the ground and pound. And he's pretty good with his elbows. I feel like he's going to get him down. He's going to switch between stances. And it's just going to wear out Ferrer because once Ferrer starts to stand up, he's not going to have all that power and all that sh- striking uh, because his gas tank is going to be so worn out from uh, – uh, being down and fighting off of the the clinch, and I feel like it's going to be a, a and probably like a three round like dominance by Gillespie. I got Gregor Gillespie by unanimous decision, three rounds to none. I kind of figured this would be would be the fight that we would uh, disagree on, the first fight yeah. that we would disagree on. Uh, that change in opponents huge, I think, at least for me. Uh, Riddell's a kickboxer, so he he's not yeah. going to threaten you on the ground. So no. Gregor is, in my mind, training for a kickboxer. Also, I don't know how much training he was getting in in those years because he's from New York, uh, and New York shut down and had the, some of the hardest COVID restrictions. You know, you and I are uh, an earshot away from New York, and we know exactly how, how hard it is where, you know, uh, Fajeda is fighting in Fortis. He's fighting the Derek Williams-owned, or Darren Williams-owned Fortis gym. Do you know that? Yeah. That's crazy, um, but that's not the point. He's fighting in Texas, which is a lot more lenient. You know, they didn't close for as long as New York did. New York still kind of closed down. So I don't know how much training was going in there. But again, the, he's a world. Gregor is world class on the ground, like you said. Uh, this was obvious. This was honestly a pick'em for me, and I just went with the underdog. I was like, I'm going to pick an underdog in this one. I, I enjoy Gregor's style. I enjoy his tattoos as a geek myself. Yeah. Love his tattoos. But uh, I'm curious to see where this one goes. This is a this is a hell of a matchup at uh, at lightweight for sure. Yeah, if if Diego Ferrer could catch him early and catch him yeah, before the takedown and just stun him with a strike, yeah, I feel like he'll have a good chance of winning. But I feel like he has to do it early. I feel like he has to do it to where he prevents him from like going with the takedown. Some some shot where it makes him like change game plans instead of going for the takedowns. Uh, Gregor tries to stand up and trade with them. That would be. Uh, Diego's best bet in his matchup. Yeah, he's got to cut off the cage, right? Yeah, he's got to go in there, bite down on his mouthpiece, push to push to the end, and get him right to get uh, Gregor's heels on the back of yeah. the cage, so he can't get any shots. Yeah. If he leaves wide open space, it's game over. He's going to put him on the ground. Yep. But uh, moving on to the third fight on the card, we have a nice heavyweight matchup uh, pinning up Maurice Green, who is nine and five and is the plus one sixty. Uh, 
underdog going up against Marcus Rogerio de Lima, who is 17-7-1 and is the minus 190 favorite. What do you think of this matchup? Yeah, like you said, man, this is a, a great matchup at heavyweight between two fighters who are trying to make the next step in their career. Uh, Maurice Green, who might have the craziest fighter name I've ever heard of, the Crochet Boss, um, is looking to bounce back from his loss against Greg Hardy. Uh, on the other hand, you have Marcos uh, Rogerio de Lima, uh, who is also looking to bounce back over a submission loss against Alexander Romanov. The way I see this fight is that these two are going to try to keep it standing. And I can see Green capitalizing on uh, Delima's poor takedown defense and trying to capture his fifth submission victory. Uh, Delima's ground game is his biggest uh, weakness. And with six of his uh, UFC losses are submission losses uh, in the UFC. And I think Green's camp knows this and knows that this is a, his opponent's weakness and is going to look to capitalize on his ground game, but not only his ground game, but also to capitalize on Green's six foot seven frame and seven inch reach advantage uh, and use that to his favor. So, with that being said, again, I'm going with an underdog and I'm going to go with uh, Maurice the Crochet Boss Green by a second round submission victory. This was kind of tough for me. Like, you got uh, Green who's beat Junior Albini. He lost to Sergey Pavlovich, Alexia Linick. He beat Gene Valente, which it took him a lot. Like he was losing that fight. Like he was getting yeah. dominated. And then he just out of nowhere in the third round picked up that uh, submission to win it. I remember I picked him in that uh, fight. And then I got excited as shit when he pulled out the yeah. the crazy uh, submission. Then he Vol lost it. Valente's gas tank was empty in that fight. Yep. That, was, that was a hard fight to watch for both yeah. of them. They were mouth yeah. open, struggling. And then you got Greg Hardy, a uh, fight where he got knocked out. But then you got uh, Barcos, who lost to Vinci uh, State Pro. He beat Adam Wickerhurek. He beat. He lost to Stefan Struve by submission. He beat Ben Sosley. And then his last one, he lost to Alexander Romanov. Uh, so he hasn't fought in five months, whereas it's the same thing. I think they fought. They, I feel like they fought on the same card. Five months and uh, uh, just a week apart, but uh, you got Green who is playing out Illinois, whereas Marcus is playing out Brazil. Uh, Green is thirty-four to uh, Lima's thirty-five. Uh, they're both uh, floating at around two hundred fifty pounds. Uh, Green is six-seven, and then Lima's six-one. So Green has the height advantage. And then the big difference here is Green has the 82-inch uh, reach advantage, yeah. and Lima has 75-inch uh, reach. And then he Green's fighting out the performance compound, and then Lima's fighting out American top team uh, as well. Uh, Lima has a skill set of a traditional power heavyweight with serious striking power and, a, and vicious ground and pound. He's known for getting his guys down and then – it just demolishing them in the ground and pound. Six of Lima's last eight victories have been knocked out. He's a black belt in BJJ. He has some ground ability and has produced three submission victories, but he's also submitted five, been submitted five times as well. As you said, like you, you have green by submission. Yeah. So I, I could see that happening. He's 36 years old. He wants to fight on his feet where he can unleash his power. So he's looking to stand up and trade. Oh, for sure. 
he's looking to do that so he can get to what he's good at. He's he, green. Why? Whereas Green is effective in the clinch and would throw hard knees to the body. He tries to weaken you with the knees. He comes from a kickboxing background. Has shown decent strike defense through seven UFC fights. He has a blue belt in BJJ, and all five of his submission victories have come by triangle chokes. So yep. that's his favorite thing to do. He's, he likes to use the choke. Lima is easily the more accurate striker of the two. He likes his chances against anybody in the stand-up and has a high level of BJJ with the, the ability to take you down to the canvas. And that's when he goes with those those elbows and knees that he likes to throw. And then he tries to finish you on the ground. I think that where this the problem with this matchup lies is the fact that what's going to happen is going to be on the ground because it seems like both guys like the clinch. Yeah. But it feels like Lima is going to lean more towards the stand-up, maybe like the stand-up clinch instead of the takedown clinch. It's going to try and – I feel like Lima is going to try and clinch him against the cage. Dirty and, box. And dirty box there, whereas Green, he's going to look to uh, take uh, Marcus down to the ground yeah. and clinch. And uh, with those five losses by submission, he's going to try and uh, submit Lima. But – if, no, if that can happen, that's going to be not roll well for uh, for Lima. He's going to want to do that. He's going to want to uh, get in there. He's going to want to use those knees to help him get down Lima and then get the fight to the ground. And I feel like at the end, I was leaning towards Lima because Lima has the, the power shot. And I feel like Green might get knocked out. But I feel like the more that I think of it in this matchup, that I feel like he's going to uh, take Lima down. He's going to be able to avoid the shots. Yeah. And I feel like he's going to get the, the third round submission. Nice. I, feel like, I feel like maybe it's going to be like the Valente fight where Lima is winning, just not dominantly like Valente was. And then he's going to get gas out a little bit. And then Green's going to win yeah, because he's going to have more of the gas tank and he's going to be able to lock in the, the – the choke and, and then win by third round submission. Yeah. I mean, Marcos kind of reminds me of Roy Nelson in a bit uh, where Roy Nelson was, you know, one of a, a world-class grappler, right? BJJ black yeah. belt, kind of just like you said with Marcos and then totally abandoned it because you don't see a bunch of heavyweights going to the ground and, you know, putting people into arm bars and triangle chokes, right? The, the thing that stands out to me uh, between this matchup is the Marcos, Hergario, De Lima's, um, Stefan Struve fight. Yeah. Another skyscraper, right? Struve's what, seven, 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 eight, or six, six, seven, sorry. It's not Yao Ming. Six, seven, six, eight. Uh, big, big dude, right? Huge guy. Mm -hmm. Maurice Green's a big guy, too. And I believe Struve got him with a triangle choke. Maurice Green's favorite go to move. So if Marcos is, you know, he's the power guy, he's going to get in there and try and look for that knockout shot, kind of like Greg Hardy did on Green. If you're able to get taken down and submit it by a long, huge competitor like that, you know, it's not going to bode well for the next long, huge competitor that comes in whose favorite move is the triangle choke. Yeah. So that's what made me sway uh, my decision. You know, you look at the the numbers and you have you have your classic knockout yeah. artist versus your ground game guy who has a a subpar gas tank. I think the judges are not the judges. The, the the odds makers are like, well, this is going to be a quick one. He just got knocked out his last fight. This guy knocks out people. 
that's why we're going to give him the nod. But I'm I'm riding with the underdog for two fights in a row. Hmm. I, I don't think it's bigger than uh, underdog either because as you say, minus one ninety yeah. plus one sixty. I think they're just riding uh, Liam because he's the power guy for sure. who can knock somebody out. Whereas Green, he kind of relies on the submission, which is kind of uh, crazy thinking of his stature and yeah. his reach. But that reach can be used uh, as a as a plus for a, a grappler in submission because he can wrap his hands around him with ease and get that get that choke in because he doesn't yeah. have to. Uh, uh, he doesn't have to go short amount of time. He can do like a smaller, uh, easier choke where it doesn't look like he's putting a lot of pressure on, but he really is because of his reach. Yeah, I mean, Green's two inches taller than I am, and if I were ever in a fight, I would not want him to go to the ground because I'm yeah. such a, a large body down there. But also, having long limbs like I do and like Maurice Green does, it does come to your advantage, and you're you're kind of easier to kind of slip those chokes in there. Yep. Uh, I think he's going to let Liam uh, try and gas himself out. I think he's going to test Liam and let him throw some shots and see how his gas tank's going to be. And I feel like Liam is going to try and take too much advantage of it. And then it, if he doesn't uh, knock out Green in the first round, I think he's going to. I yeah. think that's the only way uh, Liam wins is by a first round knockout. I agree. Yeah. I agree. But moving on to the, the fourth fight on the card, the six fights on this, but we got to. Welterweight matchup of a fight that was supposed to take place in August and then got rescheduled, and then both guys wound up fighting different opponents. We have uh, Neil Magny, who is 24 and 8 and is the plus 165 underdog, going up against Jeff Neal, who is 13 and 3 and is the minus 190 favorite. What do you see in this matchup? So I want you to bear with me on this comparison. Uh, this fight reminds me of the He Boss and Hill fight. Uh, okay. You have Neil Magny, a nine-year UFC veteran whose resume features wins over Calvin Gastelum, Hector Lombard, Johnny Hendricks, Carlos Condit, and most recently, Robbie Lawler. Now he's facing another tough task with Jeff Neal. Since breaking into the UFC scene on Dana White's Contender Series, Jeff Neal has gone 6-1 and one with wins over Mike Perry, Nico Price, and Bilal Muhammad. Now, I said this reminds me of the Hill and the Hebus fight, remember? Uh, because Magny is a streaky fighter who's kind of becoming this gatekeeper kind of uh, role, even though he shouldn't because Magny's an exciting, constant top 10 performer. But he'll amass these several wins, right? And then look like he's going to make that next step and take a turn to the title contender. And then he drops one or two and falls back to the bottom of the top 10. With this fight, I expect it to stay standing. Uh, I think Magny is going to try to capitalize and keep the pace and point fight hoping to tire Neil out and then try to use that four inch reach advantage to and four inch height advantage. I'm sorry. And five inch reach advantage to keep Neil at bay. But Neil throws a lot of punches per round. I think it's like um, 6.1 per minute. Uh, he throws some of the highest uh, volume of striking and he's a knockout artist. He's got the nickname hands of steel for a reason. Um, I don't think Magny is going to shoot for takedowns uh, given Neil's 93% takedown defense. But I could see uh, Jeff Neal shooting for at least one takedown to try and notch his third submission victory just because he can. Uh, with that, I, I do see Jeff Neal winning by submission. Uh, I'm sorry, but not winning by submission. I'm sorry. Uh, I see him winning by decision. I think this goes uh, all three rounds, and I think uh, it's going to be unanimous decision on Neal's part. You're on mute. 
We got we got Neil Magny who lost to a Santiago Ponza video. Then he beat Yingling Lee. He beat Anthony Rakumar and, and then beat Robbie Lawler before he lost to, of course, Michael Chiaz a, a couple months ago. And then you got Jeff Neal who beat Frank Camacho, Bilal Muhammad. He beat Nico Price and then Mike Perry before losing to St- Stephen Thompson. You got you got a uh, Neil Magny playing out of Illinois, and then you got Neil playing out of Texas. Thirty-three years, the thirty years of Neil. One, they both have uh, weigh one seventy-one pounds, six-three for uh, Magny height to five-eleven of Neil. So Magny's got that weight, uh, that height advantage that he's yeah. going to use. Then you got the eighty-inch reach advantage to seventy-five. So once again. You got the height and reach advantage that are benefitly on Neil Magny's side by a lot. He's playing out team elevation fight team. And then we got another Fortis MMA uh, gym member in Jeff Neal. I feel like uh, this is going to be prototypical striker against, in my opinion, striker against grappler. Because I do feel like Magny's going to try and grapple because He'll, he'll he'll start out feeling him out by range, and you, like use the kicks and punch. And he like you got Manny who likes to use the kicks uh, with the with that uh, reach. I feel like he's gonna be uh, like grapple and happy. He's gonna want to try and submit Jeff Neal, and I feel like with what Jeff Neal's doing is like he, he's gonna have more of the the pace on his side. Like he he knows what he needs to do. Like. His competition that he's fought has been far superior over uh, uh, Neil Magny's. Like, like even with the la- the loss, he fought Stephen Thompson, who is in the top five. He, like he floats around that five to eight range all the time, and then he'll get a win and then he'll lose. But like he knows what his style is and he sticks to it. I feel like Magny tries to stand up and trade. And then he winds up losing half the time because he doesn't stick to that grappling. Yeah. That's kind of that's kind of what happened in the Chiesa fight. Like he tried to stand up, knowing that Chiesa is more of a wrestler, and then he got beat. Whereas he kind of should have countered the wrestling of Chiesa and tried to uh, and tried to uh, grapple Chiesa and then lock him in like a, a choke or whatever. Because there are several holes in that fight in, in that fight where he could have caught. Uh, she is uh, with the submission, and he just didn't do it. And I feel like that is going to benefit Neil. I feel like Neil's going to go in, he's going to uh, get under uh, Magny, and he's going to catch him with a right, nice right hook. And I feel like that chin of Magny is so and so. It's not the best chin. Like he won't get knocked out like glass chin wise, but he'll get rocked by it. And I feel like this. This is the prototypical like first round knockout fight that I feel like. I feel like Jeff Neal's gonna come in, and he's gonna warrant the minus one ninety status, and he's gonna come in and knock out Magny with a nice right hook, just ducking in under Magny and catching him, uh, slipping because Magny's gonna come in try and grapple, and then as you said before, it's damn near impossible to take down Neal. He's only been taken down once in his in his UFC career yeah. by some by some no name early on. So I don't think he's it's gonna work. And then Neil's gonna win by first round knockout. 
Yeah, I mean, Jeff Neal is, is uh, kind of undersized for the division. Yeah. But he, but what he lacks in height, he adds in muscle. The dude looks like he's made of steel. Uh, with Magny, you know, I, I don't see him trying to – well, he could shoot for these takedowns and try to be the next one to take him down. Like, that's a challenge. But with Magny, sometimes when he's counted out the most, he mm-hmm. surprises everybody. Um, he's been in – He's been in this fight game. He's been in the UFC for nine years. Um, usually, we don't see a lot of, of that, right? We don't. We, and he, I don't remember him challenging for a title in forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, when that happens, they usually don't re-sign. They go to Bellator. They go to one or PFL. And they try to, well, it would have been World Series of Fighting. But they go to these other promotions and try to win a championship. Neil Magny stays there because he knows he's world class. He knows that he's fought, you know, you said far more superior on Jeff Neal's part, maybe recently between their last two, but Kiesa's no slouch. Uh, he's been on a tear since moving up to division, uh, world-class ground game as well. But look at the resume for Neil Magny, man. He's fought everybody. Big, big wins over Calvin Gaslam, Robbie Lawler, who's still a stud. So this could be a pick em fight, but I'm still riding with Jeff Neal. Uh, just, I don't want to disrespect uh, Neil Magny. He's a, he's a hell of a fighter. Oh, no, I'm definitely not disrespecting him, oh, but no, I no, feel no. But I feel like Jeff Neal is just like he, he has lost when he got to like that top five matchup, but I feel yeah. like he's further ahead right now than Neil Magny is. Uh, because I feel like you got, yeah, he fought Chiesa, Magny fought and lost to Chiesa, but Chiesa's ranked number six right now, whereas Stephen Thompson's ranked number five. So they both fought like a top five guy. And I feel like Stephen, I, I value the loss to Stephen Thompson over the loss to Chiesa because of the the style of fighter, which is going to help Neil more in the long run than it, than the loss to Chiesa will for uh, Magny. Yeah, I mean Thompson goes the distance ninety percent of his fights. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he's a point fighter for sure. And the thing that Magny or Jeff Neal has over Magny is that even though Magny was on the Ultimate Fighter many moons ago. Uh, Jeff Neal is the Dana White's contender series guy and yep. Dana White likes to capitalize on those guys and push that show. And, and if you can have him, that's why Jeff Neal has been like skyrocketed into the top five. Like you said, uh, getting these matchups because he's a, a homegrown guy from Dana White's. I discovered mm-hmm. him, you know, this is the whole thing. So uh, I agree. I agree with you. I don't yep. know where I was going with that, <laughs> but let me move on to the co-main event of the evening, which was, Supposed to be Don Cerrone against Diego Sanchez, but with the whole Sanchez thing, yeah, he, he withdrew from the matchup. So now it's a welterweight matchup between Don Cerrone, who is 36-15 as the minus 155 uh, favorite, going up against Alex Morano, who is 18-7 and as the plus 135 underdog. What do you think about this matchup? Yeah, so the theme of this fight card should be veteran showcase because, again, you have another – uh, veteran cowboy who has more fights in the UFC with 36 than his opponent has total. Uh, cowboy is coming in on a four fight losing streak and is looking to get back to his winning ways. He's going up against a new opponent, like you said, and Alex Morano, uh, who has won three of his last five. And uh, this is a tough fight to pick because of the short notice opponent change. Uh, cowboy had been training to fight Diego Sanchez, whose style as of late has been something extremely hard to replicate because it's so unusual um and who knows what shape uh murano's been in coming into this fight having taken it on a week's notice i don't think he had a fight booked i don't think that 
you know, he was in the middle of a camp. So, you know, the weight cut's probably going to be pretty extreme for the uh, for Alex Morano. Um, I can see Cowboy pushing the pace, trying to tire a Morano out and take uh, advantage of what I believe could be that long weight cut. Whereas Morano, um, I see him looking to get out quick and throw a lot early in the first round and see if he can take advantage of uh, Cowboy's likelihood, uh, well, history of being knocked out. Um, if this fight goes to the ground, uh, it's one round in more. Sorry, if this fight goes to more than one round, I see it going to the ground. Uh, Morano has six wins via submission. However, uh, Cowboy has an undefeated or underrated uh, ground game. I think his last matchup was a uh, grappling exhibition match with uh, Rafael Dos Anjos, and he won that. And Rafael Dos Anjos is a, a great BJJ yep. guy. So Cowboy's ground game is something we don't see often. Uh, but we should because he's he's great down there. Uh, with that being said, this fight, I see Cowboy winning by decision. Yeah, as you see here, Cowboy hasn't won that much in the past uh, five fights. He has four losses and the one draw with Nico Price, uh, I believe it is. And then you yeah. got uh, Alex Morano, who is three and two in his last five fights. Uh, you got uh, Cerrone, who plays out Albuquerque, New Mexico. And then Houston, Texas for Morano. Of course, Don Cerrone's 38 and Morano's 30. They both are 170.5 pounds. You got Cerrone here, 6'1. And then you got Morano, I believe that's 5'11. And then the reach advantage is just about the same, 73 to 72. And then Cerrone fights out BMF Ranch Gym. And then you got Morano who fights out of both Fortis MMA and then his primary one now is Gracie Bear Woodland. So as you see in the name Gracie, so you know that he has somewhat of a, uh, of a grappling clinch background. So yeah. uh, just like you said, the longer the fight goes, the the more chances that he'll, he'll primarily have to uh, get into the clinch and use that against Cerrone. But the, the one thing in this matchup that I like is even though Cerrone is the older guy by eight years, his kickboxing and his striking uh, style is so adverse that he can fight no, ma no matter where he's at, yeah. and he can always be a threat. He, he's like, and then another thing is he, his underrated wrestling background. He doesn't use it a lot because he likes to stand and trade, and some, sometimes he gets rocked early. But if he needs to, he will. He'll use that uh, wrestling to take his opponent down. Yeah. And then use his wild, uh, like, fighting uh, style to beat you up. But I feel like he'll only use that in the later rounds. But I feel like in round one, I feel like he'll, he'll be using a lot of his legs, a lot of his range. And then he'll just come out like a banshee and then attack Morano. Like, Cerrone's been the more, uh, like, fighter to fight of late than Morano. He, he takes a lot of fights. Uh, no matter what, not as much as he did probably three years ago, four years ago, where it seemed like he was fighting every two, three months. Yeah. Because that's the kind of guy he is. He doesn't, he'll take any fight that he wants. Like, he, he's never going to say no because he needs the paycheck. Well, now now he doesn't because uh, of all the sponsors he has now. That he, he loves to fight. Yeah. He loves to fight because he loves to spend money. And, and then to spend money, he needs to have fights. Yeah. So he, he books as many fights as possible. So he takes more risks is what I'm saying. He takes more yeah. risks in the fights because he knows that's a better chance of getting a great 
uh, you know, great knockout win or something to get that bonus. Yeah. But I feel like he's going to be more disciplined in this matchup because he's only going to have two fights left. This is his first, and then the next one's going to be his last fight before he retires. So I think he's going to be more disciplined with what he does. He's not going to put himself out there vulnerably to get hit just to uh, throw a punch back to knock the guy out. He's going to be smarter here, and I feel like he's going to – Bear with me. He's going to win by first round leg kick. Nice. Wow. Okay. He, he has those long legs. And I feel like Morano is going to expect crazy uh, Cerrone coming out there and just jumping at him with his hands. But he's going to come. It's going to be more disciplined and kind of not exactly like the Rose Dama Juniors fight uh, a couple of weeks ago. It's going to be similar to that where he's going to just use a leg kick and catch. Murano, uh slipping, and he's going to knock him out. I mean, he's got world-class Muay Thai. Uh, yeah. his, his Muay Thai is phenomenal. I thought that this was going to – the way that the, the card looked and the matchup between him and Sanchez, I kind of thought that this was going to be the – no pun intended, he wins this fight and rides out on a high horse. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that this was going to be his last fight. He was going to move on, and you know he's a thrill seeker. He loves to do his stuff. Uh, it's going to be a sad day when Cowboy Cerrone retires um, because he's a, a legend in the sport. You, you said, you know, one of the most active fighters out there and puts on hell of fights every time. Um, with this, it's so weird because, like, he's going up against a younger dude who, you know, you win, you you kind of get more momentum. You kind of feel yourself a little bit more and say, I'm going to go back and fight. I Maybe I have one more, you know, one more rodeo left in this Cowboy. Yeah. Uh, but. I don't know, man. If he wins this fight, who do you see his next opponent being? That that's a tough call because right? he was first fight Sanchez. Yeah, that's a legacy th- fight right there. And th- this isn't at lightweight, so it's at welterweight. So you got you got to weigh in the guys in the top ten, top fifteen, and see who, who would want to fight him. Maybe Matt Brown, fight. which it it could be. It could be Matt Brown. It could be somebody of that where it's a veteran. That's looking to do the same thing too. Diaz, Nick Diaz. That's that's if he uh, fights again. He's coming back. He said he was. I mean, he was at UFC well, 261. He was. Well, Dean White says he's not sure if he's coming back or not. Yeah. I mean, you could always you could always give him um, Dan Hardy too, who wants to come back and fight. That would be perfect. Another legacy fight for both yeah. of those guys. Great fight. Yeah. Or Paul That'd Felder. Be- I'd like him to see him fight Paul Felder. Yeah, but then it would have to be a lightweight. Yeah, well, Paul Felder will go up a little bit. Yes. <laughs> but I, I did that fight. But it, yeah. it, even though in itself, like, what a great, great year, uh, career for uh, Don Cerrone. It's crazy to think that at 36 and 15, he's only had two title fights because he's yeah. fought around two, three different weight classes. But he's been a fan favorite. Uh, he'll be he'll, his legacy will be known for taking any fight at any time, yeah. and just constantly fighting. Yeah, because of it, the way he spends. So yeah, he like, he needs to fight for that BMF belt. Yeah, yeah. I oh, mean, that's his ranch. That's his ranch name. Maybe him yeah. and uh, yeah. Game Bread is the matchup yeah. to make. Exactly. But let's move on to the main event. As All you right. see on the ticker below, we got it says women's uh, straw weight matchup, but it's going to be held at flyweight uh, because of the late uh, move to the main event. And we got Marina Rodriguez, who is. Uh, 13 1 and 2, and is the minus 215 favorite going up against Michelle Watterson, who is 18 and 8, and is the plus 165 underdog. 
what do you think of this main event? Well, first, I'm curious to see if uh, if Rodriguez or Waterson feel great at 125. Are they going to stay there and challenge uh, Valentina? But that's besides the point. Uh, in my mind, this is a great matchup between two title contenders at straw weight. You have Waterson coming in off of uh, a big win over Angela Hill in September, and she's going up against Marina Rod- uh, Mariana Rodriguez, who is coming off a win versus Amanda Hebas. Um, I can see why this fight is the main event. Both of these fighters are electric and are naturally strikers. Uh, Waterson obviously has the karate background and uses an array of kicks to keep her opponent guessing and to keep her at bay. Uh, but she has had issues going up against fighters who push the pace and have a height and reach advantage. Enter Mariana Rodriguez, who has a three-inch height advantage, three-inch reach advantage, and is a fighter who bites down on their mouthpiece and moves forward having almost half of her wins by knockout. I think in the UFC, she has six. Um, I see Waterson attempting to take this fight to the ground as she has most of her wins via submission. Uh, while I see Rodriguez keeping the fight standing and looking for the early knockout uh, like she did with against uh, Amanda Hibas. I don't see this fight going to distance, and I'm going to take Rodriguez uh, by second-round knockout. I love Michelle Waterson. I'm super entertained every time she fights. Uh, but if Mariana wins this fight, I'm curious to see where you uh, where you put this. But I'd like to see her either get a uh, a rematch versus Carla Esparza, who's ranked ahead of her, or go up against somebody like Joanna, um, who is like number three in the division. I think if she wins this, she'll stay at six. Um, however, I think Joanna is either going to fight Carla at five or Mackenzie Dern, because Mackenzie Dern's been kind of moving up the, the bracket. So what do you think? When I saw this this fight, uh, it reminds me of one of the first fights that got me into the UFC on a regular regular scale, like weekly type thing. Not like the like Chuck Liddell, Tito Tees, but like on the regular. And it was sure. U, it was UFC 100. It was it was Shogun Rua versus uh, Leona Machida. Okay. And these two fighters remind me of the women version of them, whereas. Uh, Michelle Watterson's like Lena Machida with the the Kataran, uh, karate background. They they wait for you, then they use the karate to their advantage. And then you got Marina Rodriguez, who is more of the, the power striker, kind of like Shogun Rua is, who's going to push the pace forward. Reminds me just like Shogun Rua. So, the, so when I first saw this, I was like, this reminds me of this matchup. This is the type of style I love. Because those two men had two big time matchups uh, in the UFC at that time, and it was for uh, it was for the title when Machida was the champion, and then eventually uh, Shogun wound up taking it. And it's going to be similar style. You're going to have Michelle Watterson, who, like you said, she does have that takedown, but I feel like she's going to let Marina Rodriguez control the pace, and she's going to let just sit back and see if she can make a mistake and then capitalize it. She's going to use her legs, use her uh, striking, and then just bob and weave. And then if she if she has an opening, she'll take it. But I, I don't think there'll be much openings for her to go up against with uh, Marina Rodriguez. Yeah. As, as you saw in the re- rebound fight, she was very patient. Uh, she she actually was – her way of letting rebounds make a mistake is, is just standing there and seeing what was happening and seeing what Rebus was doing. She was surveying the scene and letting her make mistakes. As you see, and then as you see in this matchup, the the same, basically the same age, same weight, 
the height goes to Marina by just like 0.3 uh, inches, but then she has the three inch reach advantage. She fights out Brazil, Floripa, and the AS team, and then uh, Watterson fights out of the uh, Jackson Wink MMA. As you know, everybody that fights there, of course, big time. Uh, John Jones, and then before that, you had Rashad Evans. Before Rashad Evans brought up moving down to Florida to and Holly Stone, Holm. and then Holly Holm. So if if you take those styles and where it's like the kickbox and mixed like karate, and then the then you mix in a little sprinkle a little bit of the the grappling in there, uh, you, you got a good fighter there. But I feel like Marina Rodriguez. It's that power shot that that's going to be the, the the game changer in this matchup. Yeah. It, it, like getting that shot off and stunning uh, Michelle Watterson because I feel like if she could get that done early, it's going to benefit Rodriguez just like in the Rebus fight. Rebus got ahead early because she was doing her game. But then once she got clipped that one time, it got her so off her game plan because she was so out of it from getting hit hard because Rodriguez – it, it hits like a center block. Yeah. And, and then it got off our game. And I feel like that's what's going to happen in this matchup. I don't think it's going to go to the decision. I don't think it's going to be in the clinch that much. So it's like you take all that into consideration. It's like what's the path to victory then to, for Watterson? How is she going to do it? Uh, is it going to be by submission if she's able to avoid a shot and then get behind uh, Rodriguez and then they get in a choke or, or is Rodriguez going to fall head down and then Watterson's going to connect on a, a leg kick and stunner and then yeah. get her down on the ground to eventually ground a pounder. How is she going to do it? All signs point to the more pluses for Marina Rodriguez to win in this matchup because of her power shot with the equalizer. She yep. connects once. She's got her. I don't think she, I think she kept connecting once in the first round. She stunned Watterson, but then I think Watterson will wind up going on the ground, buying time, get into the second round, and then I feel like with, with that, I feel like Marina Rodriguez is going to wind up winning by a ground and pound in round two. I feel like she's going to catch her again, kind of like what she did with Reboss, and she's going to stand on top of her and just start wearing at her. Until the until the ref stops the fight and then gives her the second round uh, knockout. Yeah, I mean that uh, that equalizer is huge, right? Um, like I yep. said, man, I think Waterson's game plan and path to victory is through mm -hmm. the ground. Uh, get her down if you can and keep her down. Um, I'm curious to see what happens after this fight. If Mariana looks great at 125, you know there's going to be talks about her contending for uh, a shot against Valentina since. You know, Valentina's kind of cleared out that entire division. Um, if Watterson loses this fight, the fight to make, honestly, is her and Hibas. I mean, that's been a fight that people have been wanting. That's a fight that Amanda Hibas has been asking for, and uh, Michelle's been allegedly um, declining, I guess, because of her rankings. So yeah. I think that would be the fight to make uh, if Hibas wins and Watterson loses. No, no, I, I agree with that. Like, it'll be another thing where you, you, you got two matchups from these four women that hasn't happened yet. Yeah. So, so it'll be, it'll be interesting to see, uh, like, where Marina goes from here if she gets the victory, right? Like, we think she does. Like, she, like you said, she could contend for a Valentina, but then she could move up and get a better ranked spot here in the, in the 
strawweight division. Yeah, but and, I think she would have a better chance at staying at flyweight because we know the fight to make in, you know, strawweight is Rose Wei Lee. Like that's the rematch. Dana White's already yeah. said it. So she's going to have to stay active and kind of, it all goes back to when I talk about Jojo Calderwood, right? Jojo Calderwood went up against Jennifer Maya when she was the number one contender for that belt against Valentina. Yeah. Lost her spot. And now she has a challenge for a belt, right? If Mariana stays this course, stays at 115, she's got to go up against Mackenzie Dern, Carla Sparza, um, Joanna. She's got to go up against, that's Murderer's Row. So she's got to go up against these women when she could just kind of ride this momentum and say, well, Valentina is going to be a little more active than Rose. Valentina needs another, she's going to fight sooner than Rose's second fight. Yeah. So maybe just win this fight, wait until, win, win dominantly, do something impressive, and then wait until the fall when Valentina's ready and there's your fight to make. The only thing with that is this is going to be her first time fighting at uh, a flyweight. So you got to yeah. see how she does at, because she's primarily fought at strawweight. So it's a different weight class, different types of fighters there. Yeah, but we and, saw it with Andrade, the last fight. That was her... You know, she fought once before that at at uh, flyweight. And that was against Jake. Yeah, but she's she's always floated around both those though. Like yeah. it, it, even before she got into UFC, she was floating around this. Whereas uh, Marina has done primarily strawweight. Like I think that would be a good move for her. It just I have to see how she does uh, with this fight, and then I still think she wouldn't get be guaranteed that title fight right away. I think she would have to do one more fight anyway. That's why I think. No matter where she goes, she's going to be in that five spot more than likely in either division with a win, and yeah. then she'd still have to fight one more time uh, to get up uh, to that title shot because she, uh, just jump in divisions. Yeah, maybe kind she of, takes the winner against uh, the Chikagian fight at uh, what two sixty three. Yeah, yeah, that would sound right. But I, I wouldn't be opposed to her staying at flyweight. That would be interesting. She'd probably get her, her ass kicked against. Uh, uh, Shevchenko, if she got the title shot, and because all, all signs are leaning towards uh, Shevchenko Nunez three right now, they're already talking about it. And then they asked Shevchenko, and she says she wants that third fight. So yeah, I mean that was the fight. That's the fight to make when we talked about it. Uh, the only other interesting one there was was if Whaley won against Rose. That would have been a fun fight, but uh, oh, maybe in the future gonna, we'll see that. She, yeah, we will once Rose gets demolished by Rayleigh because now oh, look at you. Now Rayleigh's going to be on the tear now. Look at you. All right, we'll see. I'm just, I, I'm just, that, I called that, that fight. That was that was the deciding factor of my night. That was my upset. It, it was, but we didn't know that she was going to kick her with a leg kick like that. That that, no, that was the that was the surprising thing since she doesn't do that. So now that so now that Rayleigh knows that she has that capability. Uh, I, I think it'll be different now. I think she's gonna come in more aggressive. Yeah, and, and that's not gonna be good for Rose. That's gonna be scary. <laughs> yeah, yep. But that that will wrap things up for uh, UFC Vegas 26 uh, uh, preview show. Uh, we are Caged by IQ. We're affiliated with the Sports Box. You can look down below. Send them your questions and comments, and follow them on Facebook, Twitter. Instagram and then subscribe to the YouTube page at the Sports Box Show. And then uh, I am your host for Cage by IQ, D Big. You can follow Cage by IQ, the best place for MMA content, on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and Twitch. Don't forget to subscribe to the YouTube page to, so you don't miss out on all the content that we bring out. 
We do previews and recaps for all the MMA promotions, UFC. You got PFL, you got Belter, and then and then even one championship. Now that they're shown everywhere in the U.S. now, normally now. But uh, once again, don't miss any of that. We got interviews popping out every Wednesday as well. So you don't want to miss out on any of the content that's being uh, displayed to you on YouTube. So subscribe to the page and then comment on our videos and let us know what you think. And you got anything to say before you get going? Yeah, just listen to my podcast, The Active Geek and The Galaxy Wars podcast. Listen to them both if you could. Yep. And then all that stuff comes out on Wednesdays and then uh, Saturdays when you'll be bringing back your uh, – your review uh, episodes for uh, the shows. I think Loki's the next one next month. Yep. Yep. So look forward to all their stuff primarily every Wednesday when they drop their normal episodes out. So check that out. But uh, I'm your host, uh, D-Bake. This is Jim. And then make sure you tune in and on Monday night at 8.30 p.m. Eastern time for the UFC Vegas 26 recap show me and Miles as we break down the, the recap of Saturday's fight. But uh, we will talk to you later. See, See you guys. Thank you for watching this episode of Cage My IQ on the Sports Box. Please remember to follow us on all of our social media outlets on Facebook at Sports Box Show, Twitter at Sports Box Show. Instagram at The Sports Box Show. Find us on YouTube and join Outside the Box, our Facebook sports discussion group. The Sports Box is brought to you by our sponsor, Showcase Sports in Hamilton. Showcase Sports for the elite athlete. And also our friends over at Crowdplay. Download the free Crowdplay app today and use promo code THEBOX at sign up for 10 free points. Thank you for joining us.